Resources and right causes go together. You know, every year about this time of the year, you have all kinds of companies. And my, my sister used to do this for a company, decide which 501c3s that she would, that this big company would donate money to. That was one of her more tertiary or side things that she did for the company. And uh, she was a federal regulator for a season. And so she, she knows a lot about these things. And, and, and companies are looking for right causes to give resources to. Donations, charitable giving at the end of the year. And so we can see that th- these things uh, are, are really pertinent in our world today. So I want to turn to a scripture this morning that really talks about that in a very clear and distinct way. And I want to give you three reasons why soul winning and prosperity go together. Turn with me to Psalms 35, 27. Psalms 35 and 27, that's where we're going to begin today. And it says this, it says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. And again, his cause wasn't, you know, save the whales. His cause wasn't build the, the temple building, you know. It, it, it's what the temple did and the covenant stood for and what, it, and what it facilitated in the context of the covenant. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually. We're supposed to be saying this. Let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Servant being defined as those who... Favor his cause. You're serving him, you're serving his cause, you're serving him. You're serving him, you'll serve his cause. They just go hand in hand. Let them shout for joy. Everybody say, I'll shout for joy. You you ought to get happy about this. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. That would be evangelical Christians. Those of us who believe in the gospel and soul winning, leading people to Christ, namely. That favor my righteous cause, yea, let them say continually, don't stop saying it, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity. Everybody say prosperity. You can say that in church. Which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I'm one of his servants. He takes pleasure in my prosperity. My servanthood is centered around the winning of souls, leading people to Jesus Christ. Because that's the only ultimately important thing. You can have the stupidest Christian on earth, and you can have the most intelligent PhD from Harvard and MIT, and put him in a room, and let me tell you something. The guy that's got it right about the most important thing, his wisdom outshines the guy who may have, you know, five PhDs, but has it wrong about the most important thing, which is eternity. The dumbest Christian is smarter than the bright, most educated atheist. Let me say it again. The dumbest Christian is smarter than the smartest, most educated atheist because they got it right on the most important thing. It's called wisdom. You see, I am a servant of his righteous cause. You are servants if you are soul winners, if you believe in supporting a church that's not, you know, a deadbeat church that doesn't do anything about winning souls or missions or, or the gospel, it, but a real church defined as how the New Testament defines a church, which is a soul-winting entity. 
If you're part of that, then you are servants, because we're all servants to the Lord. He bought us. He owns us. He paid a price for us. He redeemed us out of sin. And if you are a servant and a member of a church that's into soul winning, then you are servants of his righteous cause. And he takes delight in your prosperity. Because he knows that when you prosper, you don't go to Vegas and do, you know, what, what, what happens in Vegas won't be told about, you know, what's that saying? And what, what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Now, we won't tell on your dirty little rotten fornicating filthy lifestyle. We'll keep it a dirty, rotten little secret so you can keep your dirty, little, rotten life going. Now think about that. We are servants of his righteous cause. He takes pleasure in our prosperity. Now, it says the prosperity of a fool destroy him. Now, if you're foolish with your money, he can't give you too much. It's kind of like you you can't send a five-year-old out the door with a $10,000 check. How many of you know that? Somebody's going to mug him. <laughs> it's not going to be a good situation. And he'll probably lose it on the way to the bank. God can't entrust a lot of money to certain people. But he wants to. He would like you to be a good steward of that for his cause. Can I get an amen? He would really like that for you. Until you grow up spiritually, get your mind renewed and think right. Until then, then God, God can someday do that for you. If you're not experiencing that. But God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. The servants of what? His righteous cause. What's his righteous cause? The covenant. (laughs) Getting people saved. Because of the New Testament. The covenant of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. To take away our sins. Can I get an amen? But he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And he says this. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Now, what do you think of when you think of David saying, And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness? In the Old Testament, we've got David speaking of God's righteousness. That is an Old Testament form of soul winning and giving testimony to the goodness and the covenant of God. Can I get an amen? It says his tongue will. It says, and <laughs> And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness. Well, on Sunday morning, my tongue speaks of his righteousness, so you'll get saved. So you'll receive him into your heart and be born again. That's really an Old Testament form of evangelism. That's his righteous cause. There's so much in that little two verses of scripture, I I could stay there all day and preach upon that. But there's so many other testimonials uh, to this, this truth that I'm sharing with you. I have to share with you a bunch more scriptures. Because we believe unto righteousness, the Bible says. And then he speaks. I want to just... That, that verse is so clearly he's talking about trying to bring people into the covenant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and thy praise all the day long. He wanted to speak about his righteousness. You know, we speak about God's righteousness and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's how people get saved. And it says, a man with a heart man believes under righteousness. So David is really talking about soul winning. Righteous cause is the winning of souls. Speak, uh, that's soul winning and, and communicating it. But let's go to a New Testament example of someone that the Lord was blessed in the prosperity who favored Jesus' righteous cause. Jesus is God. Makes it, it comes into focus even a little bit clearer in Luke 5. Everybody turn there. 
Let's go to Luke 5. This whole thing about he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants and those who favor his righteous cause. Well, Jesus has got this righteous cause going on in the New Testament. And he's going around preaching the gospel to people. He's preaching the kingdom, the advent of the kingdom. So he's got a bunch of people there, and he needs somebody to help him with some resources. And this is the greatest fulfillment of Psalms 35, 27, 28 that you'll find in the New Testament. And I'll be real honest, I think Jesus was thinking about this verse. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus was thinking about Psalms 35, 27, because he was a walking Bible. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, everybody say, to hear the word of God. Well, I tell you, there's not a more righteous cause than a bunch of people coming to hear the word of God so they can hear it and be saved. They came to hear and be saved, it says in one place. And they pressed upon him to hear the word of God, and he stood by the lake Gennesaret, and, two, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him or asked him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Now that right there, right there is a righteous cause, Jesus coming and preaching to the people. Can I get an amen? Anybody, can, can you all see that's a righteous cause? And he comes and he asks Peter, would you help me? Would you get involved? Would you give some support and resource to this righteous cause? Can I use your ship because I want to go out on the water, which will create an acoustical uh, advantage to speaking to them on the ground? And can I use your ship out here to preach? And now Peter gets an opportunity to either favor the righteous cause or not to favor the righteous cause. And he is smart enough, he chooses to favor that righteous cause of Jesus preaching the gospel to the people. Pretty simple. Can I get an amen? So he favors that righteous cause. He gets involved. He puts his money where his mouth is. He gives something. He gives his boats to be used. Now, when he had left speaking and he said unto Simon, launch out unto the deep and let down your nets for a dot. And now we're going to see if the second half of that verse, Psalms 35, 27, where it says he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Who's his servant? Those who favor the righteous cause. He says, go put your nets down. He's thinking, okay, what does this have to do with you using my boat to preach? This is the byproduct of it. And he entered into one of the ships, and it was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the people. And now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answered him, saying unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. In other words, dude, there's no fish out there. We already tried that. You know, all the people that say you can't be done, I like the people that stand up and say, watch me do it. And he says, no, what you could not do before I favored you, before, I mean, before you favored my righteousness, what you could not do, now I have pleasure in your prosperity. How many of Jesus was Lord over the world, the fish, the, the, the sea, the sickness, the death, raising him from the dead? How many of you know Jesus was Lord over everything? 
He says, you know what? You, you favored my righteous cause. You let me use your boat to preach. That's my righteous cause. You favored it. You're my servant. I have pleasure in your prosperity, Peter. I have pleasure in it. And what you can't do when you don't, before you favor God's righteous cause, what you can't do then, I can cause you to be able to do after you favor my righteous cause. Why? Because I have pleasure now in your prosperity. Look what it says. He says... Simon said, Master, we've toiled all night and taken nothing, nevertheless, at thy word. You know, we just need to be a nevertheless at thy word, people. Who cares about the circumstances? Nevertheless, at thy word, people. And look what happens. We see he really does have pleasure in the prosperity of his servant, his servant being defined as the person who favors his righteous cause. Look at it. And nevertheless, at thy word, we'll let down the net. And when they had done thus, when they, when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break, and they beckoned unto the partners. With, you know, you aren't going to get blessed, but all the people around you are going to get blessed, which are in the other ship, and that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so they began to sink. How many of you know, I'm going to say that's some prosperity. And, when, and how do we know this is really about soul winning? Because look what it says. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees, and Jesus saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he was astonished at all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. This is all about soul winning. This incredible prosperity of filling up both ships to overflowing is all about connecting your prosperity and connecting our cash to the cause. They say, connect your cash to the cause. Connect your ship to the cause. Connect, connect your whatever it is, your business to the cause. Connect it to the cause And God will have pleasure in your prosperity. And what you could not do with your empty boat and your tired out workers before you favored his cause, now you can do in overwhelming abundance after you connect yourself to the cause that makes God take pleasure in your prosperity. That's a powerful connection between Luke and what it says in Psalms. That is the first relationship between soul winning and prosperity. Let's go on to another one. Let's go to 1 Kings 17, 8 and 6. 1 Kings 17, and we're going to talk about seeking the kingdom first and all these things being added unto you. We can look and we can see that there are distinct and definite connections between prosperity and soul winning. 1 Kings 17, And we're going to start there in verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him. This is, this is in the days of Elijah. This is in the time of a great famine that was for three years and people were dying all over the place. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Here's the preacher. Here's the word of the Lord comes to him. He says, Go to this place 
and there's a woman there that I have commanded to take care of you. Okay, we got the lady, we got the preacher, and we got the command for the lady to take care of the preacher. He's thinking he's going to meet some real rich lady there. But let's look at the story. So he arose and he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and she called her, and he said unto her, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water and a vessel that I may drink. In other words, God says, Okay, here she is. He comes walking in. God told him, Go to this town. I've told the woman to take care of you. He shows up at the town. God obviously showed him who that woman was, and he goes up and he puts a demand on her and says, uh, Could you, you know, basically take care of me? And he called to her and he said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And she was going to fetch it. He called her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. He's really putting a demand on this lady. Now, for all he knows is she's rich and she's got all kinds of stuff. But then he finds out something very different. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. He found out that she's destitute and she's poorer and probably in worse shape than he is. And God, you told her to take care of me? God, could you choose somebody rich so I don't have to ask a poor person to give? No, God wants us to ask poor people to give because that's the path for the poor person to begin to experience prosperity it's completely antithetical to the unrenewed minds and the way that the world thinks how many of you know god th- does things just the opposite of the world says my ways are not your ways my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts they're so much higher they're like so much higher it's like the heavens above the earth. In other words, they're not even close, folks. They're not even close, the way you think and the way I think. Just remember, I created the universe. You guys screwed everything up. <laughs> I mean, that's God speaking. His ways are greatly higher than ours. And the poor person has to have an abrupt change in the way that they think. Can I get an amen? And so she hasn't made, you know, she might think, Well, I hope he doesn't know that God told me to take care of him. Oh, lady, he knows. God tells him things about you. And God told him you're supposed to take care of him, and he knows. You're hoping he doesn't know, but he knows that you're disobedient. You're hoping that maybe he doesn't know know that she's the one, but he knows that she's the one. God will tell his servants things. And she's there, and she's saying that, Dude, I don't have anything. We got a little bit of meal here. We got a little bit of oil here. We're going to put together. Me and my kid, we're going to eat it. Then we're going to die. We're out of here. That's completely different than what God told you to do. God told you to seek first the kingdom and all these things would be added unto you. God told you to take care of the ministry. See, Elijah doesn't represent his personal interests, by the way. Elijah represents the ministry of the prophet, which was God's righteous cause and his righteous covenant. Can I get an amen? In this story, Elijah represents the covenant. Elijah represents the righteous cause. Elijah represents the soul winner. Elijah represents the one who brings life through the spoken word. Thy words, they are spirit and they are life. 
He is the preacher. He's the one that brings spirit and life. She hasn't quite gotten that yet. Look at this. She says some really negative things that I may go in and dress it for me and my. You know, the me and my crowd are selfish. I don't care about those kids, those starving kids in Africa. I don't care if those people need the gospel preached to them. I don't care about that inner city. I don't care about that missionary. I, me and my first. How many of you know that's selfishness? This is a commentary on the selfishness and the fearfulness of people who disobey God. She's getting ready to premeditatedly disobey when God says, I commanded a widow woman to take care of you. She's flat out disobeying, rebelling, saying, no, God, I'm not going to. How many of you know we got people like that even today? Nobody in this church. Can I get an amen? But this poor, pathetic little woman saying, no way. I'll do it my way. Yeah, and you'll be dead soon. Me and my son, that we may eat it. And she even admits it and die. And Elijah said unto her, fear not. Lady, you're in fear. This isn't faith. You eat it and die when God told you. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Everybody say it with me. Faith begins where the will of God is known. The will of God was known unto her, and the will of God was you're supposed to feed this guy. You're supposed to put the kingdom first and then expect all these things will be added unto you. And he says to her, fear not. She's obviously in fear. I mean, fear is a belief that something bad is going to happen. Faith is a belief something good and of God is going to happen. Fear is faith in the negative. Fear is faith in the negative. It's a perverted, upside-down, backward type of faith. Fear is. It says in Proverbs 10, 24, The fear of the wicked shall come upon them, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted unto them. How many of you would rather be the righteous in that one? We're going to eat it and we're going to die. Oh, poor you. That's why it stinks to be you, lady. You're going to eat it and you're going to die. But you know, you can repent and you don't have to be the old you. Everybody say hallelujah. And me and my son, we're going to eat it and we're going to die, dude. We ain't going to give nothing to that preacher. What are you doing coming around here, preacher, trying to get my money? You know, I know people like that. What a sick, sick. You know, we need, I'm so glad Peter didn't say, you ain't going to use my boat, preacher. All you guys want to do is use my stuff. No, the God that created you has told you to follow and obey God. Can I get an amen? amen? That I may go in and dress it, and me and my son may eat it, and we may die. And Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me, therefore, a little cake, keyword, first. Lady, I don't begrudge you that you and your son go eat some cake. I'm certainly not against you taking a part of it and having it. But first, everybody say first. How many of you know in Matthew it says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you? Get it right, lady. God first, you second. You're not God. You're not Lord God Almighty who created the universe. Him first, you second. Get it right, little lady. Get it right. Don't be a dirt head. <laughs> that means carnal-minded, in case you don't know what that means. Carnal means, you know, anyway, of the earth. Flesh came from the earth, dirt head. So anyway, 
little etymology there. But anyway, make it for me first. And thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. This next part is really important. And when, and she went and did, according to the saying. And she went and did. And she went and did, according to the saying of Elijah. And she and him and her house did eat many days. How many know that that scenario in verse 15 is a lot better than that scenario in verse 12? We're going to eat it and die. And how many of you know they all ate? And they ate for many days until the drought was over and they had plenty to eat all the time when everybody around them was starving. How many would rather have uh, the second scenario than the first scenario? And it's all based on what you put first. Same thing. She was going to eat and then there's something left over for him. Uh, you know, and then she was planning on dying. But if you, may, if you give it to Elijah, remember, Elijah represents the, the righteous cause. It represents ministry. It represents soul winning. It represents the preaching of the gospel and all those things. Eli- when you put it first... It will change everything. How many of you know with Peter when he put it first and he went ahead and gave him the the boats that it changed everything about his fishing experience? This is the hardest thing in the world for people to get into their heart. The devil fights it. But if you put the things of God first, everything else will come unto you. All the things that you desire, the Bible says. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. All the things that even the the Gentiles seek, even... Carnal things. Wow. So this is why we're called to preach, to, to give and to favor God's righteous cause. Wow. Let's go to the third one. And, I, you know, I think Jesus, when he said, seek first the kingdom. Matter of fact, let, let's, you know, you need to just see that. Go ahead and turn there with me. Turn to Matthew six thirty one in your Bibles. Let, let's look at that verse of Scripture. This is a powerful verse of Scripture. See, I think Jesus was thinking about that little widow when he wrote that, when he spoke this, excuse me. It says in verse 31, Matthew 6, 31, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? <sighs> Wherewithal shall we be clothed? And for after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your Heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But seek first. It starts out with, Don't be worried about what you shall eat. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. You know, you go from 31 to 33, it starts out, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added unto you. I think that Jesus was thinking about that little woman, because she was worried about what she was going to eat. And if she would seek first the kingdom, everything was added to her, all that she needed, all the oil and the meal just kept multiplying itself, supernaturally. You know, we had people that um, celebrate recovery, and we saw that literally happen. Or what was it? A pound of meat fed how many people, Kurt? Celebrate recovery. Was it a pound of meat and it fed how many people? 23 people. How many of you know you don't get 23 Big Macs out of a pound of meat? How many of you know you don't get 23 quarter pounders out of a, out of a pound of meat? They just kept serving the meat and it just kept, it didn't go down and it didn't go down and it didn't go down. And we fed 23 people a pound of meat. That's not because the church didn't have enough money to buy a couple more pounds of meat. It's because at that night, that's, something happened. We either had more people or we didn't realize we didn't have enough meat. But it just kept feeding them. How I many of you know these things still work today to people of true faith? Amen. 
Am I boring you all today? Let me give you one more. Let's go to Isaiah 61 through 7. He takes pleasure in our prosperity. He wants you to connect your cash to his cause. He wants you to sanctify and empower your cash by being connected to his cause. He wants to change your cash and make it supernatural when you connect it to his supernatural cause. When you connect your cash to his cause, it isn't his cause gets blessed, it's your cash gets blessed. In other words, Peter got blessed by letting Jesus use his boat because then that boat went out and filled itself full of fishes. Let's go to Isaiah quickly. Isaiah 60 says this, Arise and shine, for thy light has come. Verse, verse 1, For the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness in the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee. In other words, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon thee. And the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light. The Gentiles are the lost people. And the kings to the brightness of thy rising. That's leaders, significant people. And lift up thine eyes round about and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. This is talking about when the world gets really dark and our light begins to really shine. How many of you know your light shines a lot greater in a, in a room where there's no light than if you lit a candle right now? How many of you know if you lit a candle right now, there might be people in the room not even notice that there's a candle. But how many of you know if we got all the lights completely black in this room and somebody lights a candle, everybody's eyes goes to that candle. Everybody's going to see that one light, that candle. If you put a candle in here now, three-fourths people might not even notice there was a candle. But when there's darkness, a little light gets greatly magnified. The Bible says there's going to come a day where it's going to be dark. It says, work while it is yet day, for the day cometh that no man can work. Lift up thine eyes round about and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come, even your family from afar. And thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then shalt thou see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged. Now, we're not talking about an enlarged heart. We're talking about your spirit will be expanded. Your capacities will be greater. Because the abundance of the sea, and if you look in the margin of your Bible, it says the wealth. Of the sea, and the sea is always representative of the masses of people. And the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. In other words, there'll be great evangelism. And the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. And you look in the margin of your Bible, and that word forces is the wealth. In other words, the masses shall be converted of the, of the Gentiles. And then it says, and then the wealth of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. In other words, we're right back at that same thing. Where there's evangelism, when the world is dark and we're light. How many of you know we're called to be a light upon a hill? We're the salt and light. We're the only thing left that preserves this mess that's going down. We're the salt and we're the light. When it gets really, really dark, that's going to magnify our light. A lot of people are going to see it. That's if you're really light. And then what's going to happen is in this dark day when we are the light, it says the seas, the masses are going to come to us because it's going to be so messed up out there. And we're the only ones. Remember what I said? The gospel is the only answer. It's the only thing that really fixes things. And they'll come to us. And then it says, they'll be converted unto thee. 
And God will expand your capacity, it says. He'll enlarge your heart. He'll expand your capacity for people. They'll come unto you. And then it says, and then they will bring their forces or their wealth to you because they'll say, the same thing that you, you saved my rotten, no good, sinful, go to hell life. Because that's exactly where they're going. Has done so much good for me. I want to give money so that we can go do it and make it happen for others. How many of you know the world are looking for things that work? You know, what's that, fish tank? These guys are looking for something that really works and makes money. Anybody watch fish tank? Shark tank. Fish tank. Oh, well, it was close. Close isn't good enough. Now, and you watch Fish Tank. These guys are only interested in something that really is going to get the job done. They're only interested in things that really work. There's going to come a day where we're going to realize this is the only thing that really works right here. You can try to be good all you want. But until you're right with God, nothing's going to work. And the world's going to dawn, it's going to dawn on this wicked world one day when they run out of options. And you say, you know what? Maybe it really is that gospel thing that those strange evangelicals are preaching. And they're going to get saved. And they're going to say, this works. I'm ready to invest in it. I want to invest in it because I know it works. I'm like a Shark Tank guy. I want to put my money in that thing that really works. Someday they're finally going to get it. And then he's going to take pleasure in his servants that have favored his righteous cause. Can I get an amen? It says the wealth of the wicked will be laid up for the righteous one day. And, you know, the children of Israel, I mean, the, the, the people of Egypt says, take our money, get out of here. We just, we just don't want any more plagues. Will you please leave? We're tired of the plagues. Go, take our money. We'll pay you to leave because we don't want any more plagues. We know our stupid king doesn't want to let you go, but please take our money and leave. There's coming a day where we need to be prepared. We need to be preaching the gospel. It's the only thing that matters. He gives us the power to get wealth. I'm going to end with this final verse. We need to understand Proverbs 11.30. How many of you know that, that old verse that we always use, that he that winneth souls is wise? How many of you know that that's really true? But here's the thing that people don't get right. Wisdom doesn't make us good soul winners See, that when the souls is wise, doesn't really give you the cause and effect in that verse. Wisdom doesn't make us good soul winners, but good soul winning, excuse me, will make us wise. See, when Peter got on board with soul winning, he had God's wisdom operating through him to go back out and throw the nets in a specific place, and he had the wisdom to beat the fishing game. How many of you want wisdom to beat whatever, maybe yours isn't a fishing game, but how many of you want the wisdom to be the master over your finances, over whatever game you play, whatever thing you're into, whatever occupation you're a part of? But he had wisdom to win in the fishing game. Why? Because he sold, he that wins souls, because he wins souls, will get wise. Because how do we know that? Because the Bible says this, and it's very, very powerful. And again, it's not soul winning comes after you get wise. Wisdom comes after you decide to be a soul winner. 
Because God will begin to give you wisdom after you choose to be a soul winner. Proverbs 8, 12 through 21 tells us that, well, first of all, he that wins souls is wise. If you'll be a soul winner, he'll make you wise. And then when you get wise, wisdom causes you to get money. Turn with me to Proverbs, and we're going to, I guess we're going to close on this one. I'm sorry. But look what it says in Proverbs 8, 12 through 21. It says, I, wisdom, dwell with the prudent and find knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy and evil, and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom I am understanding, I have strength, and by me kings reign. And princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles. It's talking about wisdom personified. And all the judges of the earth. And I love them that love me. And those that seek me early find me. Riches and honor are with me. This is wisdom. See, when Peter got, cooked, got hooked up to the righteous cause, he became, he that went to souls is wise. He began to win souls, and God made him wise. And when you get wise, it says this. Wisdom says riches and honor are with me, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness and in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. That's wisdom. He that wins, everybody say it with me. He that wins souls. Is wise. Say this. And he's wise because he wins souls. And if you're wise, now look what it says. He'll fill your treasures. See, wisdom is what causes us to have the power to get wealth. When we connect our cash to his cause, that's a crude way of saying it. I do that to grab your attention. When we connect our cash to his cause, his cause will cause our cash to be blessed. 